The scripture reading tonight comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. You can find it on page 2 of your bulletin or on the screens here. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We ask, O Lord, 
that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would teach us, oh God, to uh, pray, and that we would learn from this godly woman in Hannah. Uh, we thank you for this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in a series on prayer and how we can experience prayer. And I, I'm so glad that I got an opportunity to look at this passage. I've never really looked at this passage before, and I think it's so appropriate to have this passage on Mother's Day. And so tonight, I want to talk about the power of a praying godly woman. Amen? Too often in our culture, women have been denigrated, disrespected, and devalued. And we need to repent, particularly men, and how we have treated women. We need to celebrate women and encourage women to grow in their spiritual gifts. We need to let women know that we can all learn from women, especially a godly woman of faith like Hannah. One commentator said this. He said, through Hannah, the point is made that great women of faith played a legitimate and even a formative role in shaping Israel's history. Hannah's faith turned the tide of the period of judges by producing the transitional figure in Samuel. So great women of faith have, have shaped American history outside and within the church. Women such as Rosa Parks, who was known as the, the mother of the civil rights movement. In her book, Quiet Strength, she wrote about how God helped her on that day when she refused to give up her seat. And this is what she said. She says, I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear, and it was time for someone to stand up or, in my case, sit down. And I refused to move. Another woman of faith is, is Fanny Crosby. Uh, even though she was blind, we know that she has written over 9,000 hymns, hymns like Blessed Assurance, hymns like Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, and also To God Be the Glory. That's Fanny Crosby. And, and Fanny described her hymn writing process in this way. She says, it may seem a little old-fashioned always to begin one's work with prayer. But I never undertake a hymn without first asking the good Lord to be my inspiration. And so tonight we will learn about prayer from one of the most godly women of faith in the Old Testament, Hannah. You know, Hannah is a very unique woman in the Old Testament. She is uh, shown going up to the house of the Lord. No other woman in the Old Testament is mentioned doing this. She uh, also makes a vow to the Lord. No other woman in the Old Testament is mentioned doing this. And her prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is one of the most longest prayers recorded in all of the Old Testament. She made a vow of the Nazarite status. Uh, uh, she said that uh, Samuel, her, her, she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I promise that I won't cut her hair. You know, usually when God appears before uh, 
barren, particularly barren women, he would say, look, the name of the child is going to be this. And then particularly in Manoah's wife, Samson, he said, Samson is going to be a Nazarite. And so there is no other woman in scripture who gave the prenatal call to their child other than Hannah. And so when Samuel became a, a minister, a judge, and a priest uh, in front of the people of God, and people would ask him, what is your call to ministry? Who called you to ministry? Where was your internal call? He would say, I got it from my mama. So Hannah is a very special woman. And God uses praying women of faith to change the course of history, not only locally, but globally. Hannah prayed for Samuel the prophet who would one day anoint King David, who would also be the royal descendant of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that through David, that Jesus would establish the throne of David forever. So what can we learn about Hannah? What can we learn about her piety and prayer life? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have four observations, and the first is this. A godly family is not immune to grief. I'll say it again. A godly family is not immune to grief. So we learn that Elkanah, who, uh, who's the husband here, he, he and his family would go every year to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh. This was a family who prayed together, who worshiped together. This was a family who honored the Lord with their time, their talents, and their treasures. And this family discipled their children in the ways of the Lord, yet there was much grief. Hannah was the, the first wife, and she couldn't bear children, and so Elkanah married a second wife who could bear children. And in fact, Penina, the second wife, had, had sons and daughters by Elkanah, and this was a source of grief for Hannah. Now, polygamy was part of the, the current culture of that day, but it is not the ideal. We see that monogamy is the ideal, and we see it in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. The ideal of marriage is one man and one woman. And so polygamy, even though that was a, 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 a current in that culture, it was not the ideal, and it was a, it was a source of tension and grief. Because Panina, or Panina, I don't, know, I don't know how to say her name, and I, God bless you, uh, Chrissy, for saying all those names. Because as she was reading, I was like, Elkanah, I was, you know, I was getting my, my cues. But um, I want to say Panina. So Panina provoked Hannah to grief and anger, and she was called Hannah's rival. However, I'm sure Hannah was a source of grief for Panina because Elkanah clearly loved Hannah, more than Panina. And so we have two women, one who is provoked to anger and grief because she can't have children, and the other provoked to jealousy and grief because she was not loved like the first wife. And so my question is, what is harder for the Lord to overcome? The feeling of being unloved or being barren and having no children? So when we look at this passage, Hannah seems to be the godly one or, or the good wife. But what about Panina? Didn't Hannah want what Panina had, which is children? But again, I ask the question, what, which, which is harder? For God to overcome your barrenness, your childlessness, your deficits, or for God to be your lover? 
to love the one who is unloved. Jesus said in Luke 5, verses 23 through 24, which is easier to say that your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Jesus, uh, 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 there was a paralyzed man that approached Jesus and they were bringing this paralyzed mind to Jesus and, and he said, which is easier for this man to get up and walk or for me to forgive his sins? And Jesus says to show you that it is the harder thing is for me to forgive his sins. He says, rise up and walk. The scripture says, immediately the paralyzed man got up and walked. Jesus says, in order to show you that forgiveness of sins is harder, I'm going to make the person walk. I'm going to do what you think is the hardest to show you what is truly the harder thing. I'm going to show you, Hannah, what you think is the hardest, barrenness, to show you that the harder thing is knowing that you are loved by God, that he, God is enough to go from no faith to faith. That is the harder thing. And many times God is gracious enough to do what we think is the hardest thing in order to show us what is truly the harder thing, which is to give faith to the faithless. God hears prayer, amen. And the hardest thing in the world is to be a human being dependent on the Lord. Can I get a witness? Second observation is that God's sovereignty doesn't always satisfy my logic. I'll say that again. God's sovereignty doesn't always satisfy my logic. Can I get a, can I get a witness up in here? So 1 Samuel 1 verse 5 says that God had closed Hannah's womb. The Lord was present even in the barrenness. George Mueller said this on prayer. He says, now when the trial of faith comes, we are naturally inclined to distrust God and to trust rather in ourselves, in, in our friends, or in our circumstances. We will rather work a deliverance on our own somehow or the other than simply to look to God and wait for his help. But if we do not patiently wait for God's help, if we work a deliverance on our own, then at the next trial of faith, we will begin inclined to deliver ourselves again and again. And with every fresh instance of a trial, our faith will decrease. And he says, if, on the contrary, if we were to stand and wait for God to deliver us, if we were to be still and know that he is God, then every trial would be an opportunity for God to increase our faith because we would be dependent on the Lord. Every trial of faith is an opportunity for the Lord to deliver you. Every barren womb presents an opportunity for God to bring, new to bring new birth. Every instance of pain and grief is an opportunity for God to bring hope and comfort. God is the ultimate entrepreneur, amen? Where, where we see problems, he sees opportunities. He sees light where there's darkness. He sees order where there's chaos. He sees life where there is death. Because he is a God of infinite resources and infinite power. He is the Lord of hosts. You know, that term Lord of hosts is the, is the first time in the Old Testament that that term is mentioned. Lord of hosts. It means the, the Lord of the angel armies, the, the Lord of the heavens, the almighty. The one who has infinite power. And so the worst thing that we can do 
as human beings is not to depend on the Lord of hosts. The, the worst thing that we can do is actually being able to solve our own problems without the help of the Lord. Being independent of God and self-sufficient in the time of trial is perhaps the single most way to destroy faith in God. To not need God is the surest way to self-destruction, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. Now, if you walked away from believing God, I'm, I'm going to throw this hypothetical to you. Say, you know, you walked away from believing in God today, right? And then you, you find that, you know, initially it, it feels fulfilling and exciting because now you're, you're in charge of your own destiny and the author of your own story. You, you will find that you will have you will have the ability to love your neighbor without some moral law giver, you know, looking behind your back or breathing down your neck. You'll, you'll find that you can live life without guilt. You would feel free, free from religion, free from indoctrination, free to be able to choose your own path. And you might say, Pastor Andrew, what's wrong with that? Well, there are several things that I can show you that's not necessarily wrong, but different. You're going to miss out on experience what it's like to drink from the fountain of living water. You might wonder from a distance what it's like to seek a God that is actually seeking you. You will never know how uh, untamed the love of Jesus is, how he appears in peculiar places like a prison cell or a psych ward or a homeless shelter or a funeral, or a broken marriage. You will never discover the lengths that God will go to deliver you. You'll never experience the transforming power of grace, the enlightenment that comes from his word, the solidarity from being in the trenches with a good shepherd, the power that comes from knowing that you are not forgotten and that God knows your name. So one theologian gave this illustration of a kite and how it relates to God's sovereignty versus our ability to solve our own problems. He said the following. He said, let's suppose that a kite could come to life and develop its own personality. On the one hand, it would feel the free freedom of exhilaration that comes from the surges of wind through the sky. But on the other hand, it would also immediately take notice of something annoying, the, the tugging of the string at its center, a feeling of constraint, resistance. And soon the kite begins to think to itself, if I could only detach, then I could really fly. To the kite, you see, it seems that the, the string is limiting the full experience of freedom. But as any boy or girl has ever flown a kite knows, that when the string suddenly snaps, the kite wouldn't soar for very long, but that it would come crashing to the ground in a pile of broken sticks and paper, never to fly again. Rather, you see, it is the taut line between the kite, the one holding it, that enables the kite to fly. It allows all the principles of aerodynamics to come into place so that the kite may achieve it's full purpose. You know, there are times we think, Lord, if I could just detach, maybe then I could really fly. 
if I could just detach from my faith or detach from uh, suffering, if I could just detach, then maybe I can truly be free. You see, God's sovereignty doesn't always satisfy our logic, but it does enable us to fly because the one who's holding that string is the one who is gracious and compassionate, the one who is the Lord of hosts, who uh, if, if he, he, he goes before us, he, he, when, when he, he sees the problem before it comes and he knows our needs even before we ask, and he wants to see us fly freely. Well, we must be dependent on the Lord. The closing of Hannah's womb didn't make sense, but it was an opportunity to increase faith. Every trial that we face is either an opportunity to increase our faith and trusting in the Lord, or it can be a temptation to run away from the Lord, a temptation to say, Lord, you are not good. I have to do this on my own. You see, God uses barren women throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. The, the barren woman is a, is a large theme that encompasses all of Scripture. We see this in Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Manoah's wife and Elizabeth. Barren women seem to be God's instruments in raising up key figures in the history of redemption. Isaac came from a barren woman. Jacob came from a barren woman. Joseph, Samuel, and even the forerunner of the great king, John the Baptist, from a barren woman. And so many times we see these barren women and we think, you know, I don't want to be like them. But we see God uses barrenness to do great things. And, and there are times that we associate godliness with fruitfulness. But here in 1 Samuel 1, godliness is associated with barrenness. The godly one is not the one who has, not only the one who just has a fruitful ministry, but the godly one is the one who has a small congregation, struggling on the budget every year, not as flashy or fancy, small, unimpressive. The godly one is not only the, the married couple with lots of kids, but the, no, the godly one can be the single man or woman who can't or will never have children living in a studio apartment. You see, we sometimes associate godliness with fruitfulness, but here we see godliness is associated in Hannah's barrenness. When I went to uh, Uganda several years ago, I'll give you this illustration. I, we were going out to minister to the, the Ugandan people to, to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ had come to save you from sin and give you a new heart, a new life, and a new record. And so we, we go to this mud hut, and this lady came out literally crawling. She, couldn't, she didn't have a, uh, use of her legs. She, she crawled out of this mud hut. And she had the biggest, brightest smile I had ever seen. And, and we were, you know, college students, and we're looking at this lady, and we're like, where is she getting this joy from? And, and then she starts to tell us about how good God is and how Jesus is, is, is doing all these amazing things in her life. And, and we're, we're, we're thinking that we're coming to share the good news to her. And I'm like, ma'am, you need to share the good news to me. Because I said, you know, I live in America, I live in the United States, and there are people with a lot of resources that are depressed. 
There are people with, with all of this wealth that are committing suicide. And, and I'm like, what do you have? You have nothing. You, 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 you're living in a mud hut. And then she began to tell us about the goodness of the Lord. She began to disciple us, this crippled woman living in a mud hut. You see, God's sovereignty doesn't always satisfy our logic. My third observation is this, that sometimes you look foolish living a spirit-filled life. Sometimes you look foolish by living a spirit-filled life. You see, when Hannah was speaking in her heart, the scripture says only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she was a drunken woman. Sometimes we misread people. You know, I, another illustration, when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school, and I was at the senior banquet, and at the senior banquet, banquet they had all the underclassmen uh, dress up like the, the you know, the, the seniors, and they would tease them. They would, you know, they would, uh, they would roast them, basically. And so my brother was an underclassman, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, and my brother, he's dressed like me, and he's trying to talk like me, and everyone's just cracking up. And then all of a sudden, I let out this, this loud wail. I was like, Ooh! and everyone just bust out laughing. And they didn't realize that I was crying. I was crying because this was the last time I was going to hang out with my brother. You know, we played basketball together. We, we went to the lunchroom together. We drove to school together. And I realized that when I was going to go to college, my brother wasn't going to come with me. And so many times we... We misjudge the actions of people when they're pouring out their heart. We do this even in worship. We, we think, you know, they're being too loud or too distracting. They're bringing too much attention to themselves. But we don't know what they've been going through. They could be pouring their hearts out to the Lord. You see, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man says that there are appropriate ways to worship, but God says, pour out your heart. Don't worry about what the next person says. Because sometimes you look foolish living a spirit-filled life. You see, Eli misjudged Hannah. And he didn't even see that his own sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible says, remember Hannah said, uh, uh, Eli, don't look at me as a worthless woman. And then if you read further in 1 Samuel, you see that Hophni and Phinehas are described as worthless men who did not know the Lord. You see, Eli misjudged Hannah. And my fourth and final observation, that when we pray, we need to pray with open hands. We need to pray holding everything loosely. This is what she says. She says, I will give him to the Lord. Then I will give. Uh, Hannah says, Lord, if you give me a child, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Have you ever prayed for God to give you something that you can give away? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above and it's meant to be given away. The son does not belong to Hannah, but to the Lord. Every answer to prayer does not belong to us, but to the Lord. We do not own our gifts. Everything we have is borrowed. Borrow time, 
borrowed money, borrowed resources, borrowed talents, borrowed family, and borrowed children. What a profound request to, to give a child back to the Lord, the, the one thing that comes from the mother's womb, the one thing she creates is not her own but given to the Lord. What if everything you prayed for had to be given back to the Lord? Would God still be good? You know, most prayers are for God to alleviate suffering. Take away my pain. Give me the thing that I desire so that I may possess it. There's nothing wrong with that. But who prays for God to give me something so precious that I might just give it away? The greatest gift is in not what you possess, but the greatest gift is in what you give away. We all have this tendency, right, to keep the best for ourselves and leave the leftovers for everyone else. It seems counterintuitive to keep the leftovers and to give everyone else the best. Yet Hannah kept the leftovers and gave her best, her only son. God the Father gave his best, his only son. He could have given up the leftovers. He could have said, you know, this angel, go down there. He couldn't do that because he knew that only a good and righteous and perfect God could deliver his people. And so he sent his most precious possession, his only child, Jesus Christ. You see, God wants to fulfill your every need. He wants, to know, he wants you to know that everything that you need comes from him. Isaiah 54 verse 1 says, Sing, O barren one who do not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who had not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. The Lord is the husband of the barren woman. The children of promise are born according to the spirit. And in order to be born according to the spirit, you must become barren. You must empty yourself. That's how we are born according to the spirit because there is nothing in us. We go from death to life and God resurrects us in our emptiness, in our barrenness, in our darkness. But being barren is not enough. You must also give it to the Lord. Proverbs 30, 15 through 16 says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Your answer to prayer will never satisfy your ultimate need. Whether it's a house, whether it's a job, whether it's deliverance from temptation, whatever it is, God is enough. Amen? Because God wants you to depend on him. Remember, you know, uh, Hannah's, uh, Hannah's husband, Elkanah, said, am I not enough? Am I not enough? And Hannah's like, no, you're not enough. And she went to the Lord and she said, Lord, but you are enough. And I know that I can bring my barrenness to you. I know that I can bring my emptiness to you. I know that I can bring my grief and my pain to you because you are enough. You are the Lord, Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. You give the best things 
freely and generously. And so today, I ask you this question, is Jesus enough? Do you, do you pray with hands wide open saying, Lord, give me this, but Lord, even if you give it to me, it's yours. It's yours. And so you hold it loosely because you know that to be a child of God, to be in the presence of God is everything that you need. To be someone who, who is in, within the family of God, you are, you're, you're taken care of. Trust me, you're taken care of. I know it's hard now, but trust me, the Lord of hosts, the one with infinite resources and powers, knows your name. And I love that prayer, what Hannah said, remember me. Just remember me. And so I, I, I invite you to pray that prayer. Lord, remember me. Remember me in my grief. Remember me in my barrenness. Remember me in my emptiness. Remember me in my deficits. Remember me. And trust me, the Lord who knows your name, who gives generously, will remember you. If not in this life, in the life to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask, oh God, that you, we, we, that you would remember us, that you would take our barrenness, that you would take our emptiness, that you would take the parts of us that are never satisfied and that you would satisfy us. And Father, I do pray that you would answer the prayers of your people whether it's for healing, whether it's deliverance from grief or temptation, whether whatever it is, a job, a spouse, whatever it is, I pray that you would answer those prayers and remind your people that you are the one who will satisfy their need. Remind us, oh God, that you are enough. Help us to pray with our hands wide open, holding things loosely. Show us, oh God, that we can pour out our heart to you and look like a drunken person because we know, what you've, we know how far you've brought us from. Father, I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know you, let them know that you are enough. I pray that as they seek you, they will find that you are seeking after them. In Jesus' holy name, amen.